Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever will believe in Him will not be disappointed. His word is trustworthy. And yes, He has shut up all in disobedience that He might show mercy to all. And so Paul concludes this section by saying, listen, God is trustworthy. He is not finished with Israel. May it never be. If God has said it, He'll perform. And you can be sure as a Christian that when God tells us, as He has through the book of Romans, that we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory, that we've been justified by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from Him, that we have eternal life, that He is for us, no one can be against us. You can be sure He means what He says. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, God's Irrevocable Purpose for Israel. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. And so he says here, I don't want you to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, lest you become arrogant and puffed up. He says, listen, there's been a partial hardening that has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And he says, then the deliverer will come from Zion. Then, and he quotes Isaiah 59 in verse 26 and says, then the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jesus referred to this whole time in Luke 21 as the times of the Gentiles. When Israel hardened their hearts and said, we don't want him, crucify him. Why, nationally, Israel had been set aside. And in fact, Jesus said that they're going to come and destroy the city, and they did in A.D. 70. And throughout this whole era, Jerusalem has been trampled underfoot. It's been occupied and then liberated and then occupied, and it's just been a terrible record of of uh, wreckage for Israel throughout this whole era, and it will be so through when the Lord takes the church home and through the great time of tribulation called the time of Jacob's distress, where Israel will be under real pressure until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, we're told here in verse 25, and then Christ will return. The Redeemer will come. And Jesus said, he called it the whole era, the times of the Gentiles. Zechariah speaks of it. He says, in typical prophetic language, he speaks of the shepherd being struck in verse 7 of chapter 13 and the sheep being scattered. And then he moves right on into the coming of the Lord the second time when there'll be a purge of Jacob and two-thirds of Israel will be purged away throughout the time of tribulation and one-third will be safely brought through the fire and they will look on him whom they have pierced and the Lord will return and they will see him and believe and it will be a national conversion. It'll be an amazing thing to see the hearts of stone turn to hearts of flesh, so to speak, to see the Lord open up hearts of Israelites. And that's what he's describing here. And he quotes from Isaiah 59. Now turn back there and take a look at that. Isaiah 59. Uh, he says, all Israel will be saved. The Lord will come. He will cleanse, he will purge, he will forgive, 
And all this is guaranteed by His covenant. And uh, the end of chapter 59 of Isaiah are the verses that Paul reads, or quotes, I should say, in Romans 11. And it's good, I think, to see the context. Uh, the verses themselves, he says, a Redeemer, verse 20, will come to Zion, to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit which is upon you, and my words which I've put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now on and forever. I'm going to send my Redeemer, and I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to change your heart. My spirit and my word are going to transform you. And it'll be for your kids and your grandkids from now on forever. Now, look at the context. Just glance back uh, and look how chapter 59 starts. Throughout this whole era, it's been tempting to think that maybe God won't save Israel. And in fact, you remember, he's writing, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And certainly what calls itself the church of Rome today has done exactly what Paul said not to do. And much of Protestantism has, has just kind of said, well, God must be done with Israel. Maybe we're Israel. And has just kind of forgotten the, the specific promises that God made to Israel. And so Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. You see, the problem isn't that God can't do what he said he'd do. What is the problem for Israel? Well, verse 2, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. And he goes on and describes it throughout the chapter, Israel's unbelief, and there seems to be no human solution. And in fact, Israel's dilemma, there really is none. There's no human solution. You know, most of our lives, in fact, for many of us, our whole life, Israel has been regathered back to the land. But just about every week, it seems, there's new headlines of problems, and it doesn't seem like there's any solution. You know, they're leaving tomorrow, and they're going to meet at Camp David and have yet another summit. But as you read the details of things, it's tenuous. And things, there just seems to be no human solution, and there really is no human solution for the nation uh, apart from God himself. And that's what he ends up saying uh, down in, look at verse 15 of Isaiah 59. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. There's no human solution. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. And he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance. And this is a description, almost like Revelation 19, of our Lord's return. When he will come, the deliverer from Zion. According to their deeds, so he will repay, verse 18, wrath to his adversaries and recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun to the east. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives, and a Redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant that I'm going to make with them. 
I'm going to save them, he says. And you read the end of the Bible and you realize Jesus Christ is going to return and he won't come. Humble and mounted on a donkey. He's coming as a victorious warrior. He's coming on a white horse. And he's coming as the triumphant one. And Isaiah says just that. And then if you just read on into chapter 60, he goes into speaking of the millennial blessing that will come through Israel. And Israel will be saved and be a blessing to all the peoples in the millennial kingdom of our Lord. Now, that's what he says as he quotes uh, Isaiah. He says, all Israel's going to be saved. God's going to send the Redeemer. He's going to purge out the sin. He's going to cleanse them. He's going to forgive them. And it's according to my covenant. Now, Paul was saturated with this scripture. We really aren't. And so we maybe, it wouldn't even, the question might not even arise. But Paul was dealing with people who were saying, what about these promises? So it's good for us to go back and look at them and see that he says, no, these are going to be fulfilled. Look over at Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel 36 for just a moment. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Through Ezekiel, the Lord said, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name. You see, again, he underlines it. It's not for Israel's sake that he's acting. It's for his character, his holy name. He says, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you've profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord... That I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. And I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. He's going to regather Israel back to the land, and it won't be contingent on the politics of the day or whether the U.S. military budget is big enough or anything like that. He's going to do it, and it's going to be such a tremendous regathering that Jeremiah says in chapter 23 that they'll kind of forget. They won't forget, but they'll they'll no longer say, the Lord who brought us out of Egypt. They'll say, the Lord who gathered us back to the land from all the nations where he'd scattered us when Christ comes. And Jeremiah 23 speaks of both his first coming and his second coming, typically like the prophets do. Uh, not mentioning all this time in between. And so Paul is saying, listen, there's a partial hardening that's happened, but God is going to send his son back and he's going to fulfill what he said. If you're still there in Ezekiel, listen to what he said. Verse 25 of chapter 36, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances, and you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. I'm going to do this, he says, and I'll do it for my name's sake. 
And in Romans, he underlines the part that says, this will be according to my covenant. Look over at the covenant, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. Look at Jeremiah 31 and just listen to some of the words of the new covenant that deals with Israel. It opens, the chapter uh, opens with, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Just like uh, Ezekiel's prophecy said, And the Lord appeared to him in verse 3 and said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You know, I can't help but just stop and, and apply this to our lives today. All of Israel's salvation is a picture of individual salvation. It's always by grace. And God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, Israel. You may not be very lovely, but I've loved you. He, you know, his love for us isn't contingent on us being lovely. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, it says in John. And he says, Israel, I've loved you. Oh, you've sinned, you've turned away from me, but I'm not done with you. And so this chapter outlines that he's going to claim them back. Verse 13, he says, Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. And you think of all the mourning that's happened to Israel through the centuries and all the hardship the nation has endured in their rebellion and unbelief. When God pulls them back, he says, I'm going to turn their mourning into joy. And verse 14, I will fill the soul of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. By the way, look at verse 14. What a, what a great description my people will be satisfied with my goodness. Are you, as a Christian, satisfied with His goodness? That's the essence of salvation, is to be satisfied with Him. That's the fruit of salvation in our lives. And that's what's going to happen to the nation. And then over in verse 31, he gets more specific. And he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. I'm going to make a new covenant and it won't be like that old one. And he's speaking of the Mosaic covenant and he says, that one, you remember, and he said back in Deuteronomy, he said, listen, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you, and it'll go great. But if you disobey me, I'll scatter you to the nations. And he says, it's not going to be like that covenant. They broke it, and they got scattered. He says, this new covenant is not going to depend on them. It's going to be unconditional, not conditional. And he says, this is the covenant, verse 33, which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's exactly what he does when we come to Christ. He changes our hearts and lives and writes his word in it. That's what he's going to do for Israel. He's going to bring national conversion. They will have his law written within their hearts. And he says, read on, he says, Thus says the Lord, this is absolutely certain, verse 35, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, 
and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the seas so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Notice how he puts it. Thus says the Lord, I made the ocean. I keep that surf turning turning and tossing over there. I made the sun. I keep it in the air. I've got the moon in its fixed orbit. He says, I've got everything in control. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, if you can measure the heavens, can you? (laughs) Of course not. For a while we think, oh, there's a hundred billion stars. And then we get more tools and instruments to look further and we realize there's a hundred billion galaxies. And we can't begin to measure the space. He says, if the heavens can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they've done. I know they've been sinful. I know they've turned away from me, but I'm going to make a new covenant with them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. Now turn back to Romans 11 and watch how Paul unfolds this. He says, don't be ignorant of this mystery. Don't be uninformed that there's been a partial hardening of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then all Israel will be saved. I'm going to send the Redeemer, the Deliverer, and He's going to remove sin from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I forgive their sins. Now from the standpoint of the gospel, look at verse 28. They're enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the sake of the fathers. Yes, Israel is in unbelief today. Yes, the wild branches of Gentiles have been grafted in, to use the analogy we looked at last week in in the earlier verses. But that's, for the sake of the gospel, they're enemies, but for the sake of the fathers, they are God's choice. And he goes on, he says, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God said he's going to save Israel, he will. His gifts and his callings are irrevocable. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, well, I was going to do that, but I'm not going to anymore. Listen, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, Paul says. And then he explains, verse 30, just as you once were disobedient to God, speaking to Gentiles, and now you've been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient. In order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. Notice, on man's side, whether it's Jew or Gentile-like, what do you see? Disobedience. What do you see on God's side? Jew or Gentile? Mercy. Mercy. You know, he summarizes it. Verse 32. God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. Let me summarize it by saying this. You might be here and you're just looking into Christianity. I'm glad you are. And you might say, boy... 
all these prophecies and things and all this talk about Israel, I'm almost lost. Or you maybe have been a Christian for some time and you're still saying, I don't understand it all. One thing you can see if you watch Romans unfold and if you listen to the gospel and you listen to the message of the Bible, and one thing we've seen in chapters 9, 10, and 11, whether it's Israel or the nations, whether it's individual Jews or individual Gentiles, we are sinners. And God has shut up all in disobedience that He might show mercy to all. If there's salvation, and there is, it's by God's grace. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever will believe in Him will not be disappointed. His word is trustworthy. And yes, He has shut up all in disobedience that He might show mercy to all. And so Paul concludes this section by saying, listen, God is trustworthy. He is not finished with Israel. May it never be. If God has said it, He'll perform. And you can be sure as a Christian that when God tells us, as He has through the book of Romans, that we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory, that we've been justified by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from Him, that we have eternal life, that He is for us, no one can be against us. You can be sure He means what He says. And none of this contradicts or uh, annuls His faithful word to Israel. He's going to work out His promises to Israel in all of history, and it will all be to the glory of His grace. And so He says, in conclusion, He says, God has shut us all up in disobedience that He might show mercy to all. And so God's individual dealings, God's national dealings, God's governmental dealings throughout all of history will one day be seen to be to the glory of His mercy and His grace for us. And no wonder then Paul just bursts into praise as he thinks about it. He says, oh, the depth of the ridge, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Who would have ever thought of this? Who could have ever understood all this? Only God could do this, and He has. And who could in any way make payment to God? You can't. For from Him, the last verse of the chapter says, and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Today, we can be sure of His promises. We can be sure that when He sent Christ and said, if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, He meant it. We can be sure as Christians that He will work everything together for our good. We can be sure that when He says that His purpose is to set us on display throughout history and throughout eternity as a trophy of His grace, He will. And we can rejoice in His character, and we should. been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God's Irrevocable Purpose for Israel, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. 
It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways, Paul says, inscrutable, incomprehensible. And he's not using this in a negative sense like we might say to somebody, I can't figure out what you're doing. And we have the, you know, you can tell by our tone of voice that we think that they don't know what they're doing either. But he is saying, how inscrutable, how unsearchable are the ways of the Lord because they are perfect. They do work together for our good and His glory. He is orchestrating all things so that He will sum up everything in Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, To Him Be the Glory Forever. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 